looks in the eye on second down. Connor the carry plows his way up the middle and into the end zone for the touchdown. Roosevelt Knicks opening the hole in front of James Connor, who has his second rushing touchdown of this first quarter. And it's 13-0 Pittsburgh. Rivers steps up, looking deep down the right sideline. Benjamin's open, he's got it at the 10, and he'll walk into the end zone for the touchdown. He beat Mike Hilton down the right sideline for 46 yards, and the Chargers are on the board. Roethlisberger to throw on first down, steps to his left, throws for the end zone. Antonio Brown is there, he's got it, running along the back line of the end zone from right to left. Roethlisberger, a strike from 27 yards out, and a touchdown puts the Steelers on top as they continue to extend this lead, now 22 to seven. The only way the Chargers are coming back in this one is if they start to get a pass rush on Roethlisberger and if Rivers finds a way to have a magical second half through the air. Blitz coming, it's picked up. Rivers throws for the end zone, almost intercepted and then off a deflection, it's caught by Keenan Allen for the touchdown. It was right in the hands of Joe Hayden in the end zone. He collided with Sean Davis. The ball popped into the air. Keenan Allen caught it, and the Chargers are on the board, down 23 to 13. Line drive punt, King backing up all the way to his 28-yard line. Makes the first man miss at the 30. King to the 35, a hole at the 40. King veers to the right side at midfield, got a block. King to the 40, down the right sideline to the 30, to the 21 man to beat at the 10, and King will walk into the end zone for the touchdown. There are no flags on the field. 72 yard punt return touchdown for Desmond King. First and 10 at the 18, Justin Jackson, the running back now to the right of Rivers. Jackson gets the carry, hole on the left side to the 15, cuts right to the 10, Jackson to the five, and he hops into the end zone to give the Chargers their first lead of the night. Justin Jackson's first NFL rushing touchdown comes at a giant time for Los Angeles. Shotgun snap comes into Roethlisberger, looks right, throws over the middle, juggled but caught by Samuels to the five. Samuels turns the corner and he's into the end zone for the touchdown. Jalen Samuels, the rookie from North Carolina State, turned on the speed along the right sideline and the Steelers are within an extra point of tying it up. The kick is up and it is good. He missed one earlier. This one goes through to tie the game at 30. With 4-10 to play in the fourth, we've had two field goals that have been attempted. Neither good, two offsides. Now from 29 for the win. The snap, the kick is on the way, and it is good! And the Los Angeles Chargers win it 33-30. Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show. Those are the highlights from Sunday Night Football Live on TalkSport with me, Will Gavin and Ollie Hunter. What a game it was on Sunday night. And finally, those Los Angeles Chargers starting to do something in primetime, starting to do something on special teams, starting to look like a team who can win those games which they would have lost in the past. A sneaky Super Bowl choice. Well, not really sneaky. They're, what, 9-3 and three at this point? So not very sneaky, but... After that loss to the Broncos, I was worried that they were going to fall off. Uh, we'll discuss them on today's show. We'll uh, do a quick uh, rundown of the other games from the weekend. And, of course, we'll be talking about the big news from the weekend. Kaylin Kayla joins us from Sports Illustrated and the MMQB because 
Mike McCarthy is no more. Ding dong, the witch is dead. Ollie Hunter, we're a few days removed now. How are you feeling? Uh, there was a bit of elation um, on the on when you when you kind of broke it to me just before we went live on air on on Talksport on Sunday. Um, I think it was about the right time. I know the the Packers CEO, CEO um, Mark Murphy's come out and said. It was time for a change. And I've seen elsewhere that it's similar to when Andy Reid was let go by Philadelphia. Still a good coach, still a, you know, will still do perhaps get a, another head coaching job elsewhere. But it had gone stale and it was time to move on. Well, interesting, as we heard from, um, as we're going to hear from Kaylin Kayla, the article on the MMQB post the, and this, I'm not talking about Kaylin Kayla's brilliant article from a week or so ago. Um, about what's going wrong at the Packers, but actually from after the fire, from kind of between that and the firing, there was a an article put out about the hot head coaching candidates, those who could find themselves in jobs this coming year. And Mike McCarthy was already on that list, even though he hadn't been fired yet, because there are plenty of teams looking at him. You know, he is in consideration already for plenty of jobs which are going to be available, the likes of the Browns, the Ravens. You know, there will be people interested in Mike McCarthy as a head coach already. Look, when it comes to proportioning blame in this situation, obviously, as we've discussed many times, Mike McCarthy is where we feel the buck does stop. But just because the buck stops there doesn't mean that there isn't blame to be proportioned elsewhere, whether it's Ted Thompson before uh, Brian Gutekunst came in, whether it is with Aaron Rodgers and the coaching quarterback relationship. There are so many potential routes you could go down. Ollie, should we, should we kick off by hearing from Kaylin Kayla and then we'll get your thoughts on where you want the team to go next? Sure. Bang in. This is SI's Kaylin Kayla chatting to me last night on TalkSport. From uh, Sports Illustrated and the MMQB, Kaylin Kayla. Very good morning to you, Kaylin. How are you doing? Doing well. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad at all. Thank you. Not bad at all. And in fact, actually, before we get on to the, the Packers story, the McCarthy story, uh, I first of all want to talk about our game last night because what I didn't realise is that you are a Northwestern alum and it was a very exciting game for you last night on Sunday Night Football. Yes, it was. Yeah, Justin Jackson. Um, got a touchdown there, former Wildcat. That was that was really cool to see that. Unbelievable second half performance. You know, it looks like they might have found someone there to to fill the gap if Melvin Gordon's out a bit longer. There's something about those charges this season that they just seem to hang around in a way they haven't in the past. So very exciting stuff uh, last right. night. Very exciting stuff. Um, the Green Bay Packers, a team that we've you know covered so many times on on the station here on Sunday night, so often a team thrust into the kind of the prime time limelight. It's been a tough couple of years for them uh, over the last two years, and, and Mike McCarthy fired last night. I mean, you wrote this fantastic story for SI only a, a week or so uh, earlier about how what how it all went wrong in Packerland. So, how surprised were you when that news came down last night? Well, first I was like, thank God my story came out last week before this, because <laughs> if I hadn't gotten it done beforehand, it would have been like a total waste of all my work. Like it, it just wouldn't have mattered. Um, so I I was surprised. I was really surprised by the timing of it. I really didn't expect them to move so quickly. Um, I thought it would be sort of a postseason um, firing. I was pretty confident he would probably be fired 
but I really, really, really did not expect it to happen um, after yesterday's loss, even though I watched his press conference yesterday and I wasn't at the game, but I watched his post-game press conference and and him and Aaron Rodgers, neither of them knew at the time what was going to happen because it happened after, but there was just sort of a sense of finality. Um, it felt like, I mean, obviously that was a must-win game for them against a, a losing team, a team they expected to beat. So it just felt like there was this kind of finality and uh, almost like a resignation, like, okay, well, this is it. The season's pretty much over now. It, it was quite interesting because – for a team like the Green Bay Packers are not the kind of team to make these moves rashly, I think it's fair to say. But I saw an interesting take from uh, ESPN's Kevin Seifert on Twitter, the idea that actually sparing Mike McCarthy a month of the indignation of, of questions every single time over his job about whether he'll still be there, letting him go off and, and have the opportunity to start looking for another job while they can get back into the market themselves, that actually makes a lot more sense than maybe the first initial shock of the timing seemed? I think so too. I think that was a really good point. And I also think it works for McCarthy as well, because he's actually, um, we've written about this a little bit on our site. Um, Jenny Rentis had a story about, you know, who are the next head coaching candidates for teams in need. And McCarthy's name kept coming up. And this was even before he was fired. Um, just people kind of knew the end was probably near for him there. So it's not like, you know, he's, He's not in high demand. He, he will be one of the top names in the head coaching search this offseason. So giving him, you know, a month to recharge, get ready for those interviews, start talking to people here and there a little bit while he can, it also helps him. Um, and like you said, I mean, that was a good that was a good take by Kevin Seifert that he he doesn't have to go through the motions basically for another month when it was pretty clear that this team was not turning around. And actually today, um, Packers president Mark Murphy had a press conference, and um, I think a lot of people didn't really think that interim head coach Joe Philbin, um, they were considering him as a candidate. I think a lot of people thought, oh, they're definitely going to go outside the building. But Murphy made said several times in the press conference that Joe Philbin is a legitimate candidate, and they're, they're excited to see what he can do in four games for them. So – that's another. That's probably another reason why they made the decision because they wanted to see what they had in Joe Philbin. Anyone who watched that Miami Dolphins season of Hard Knocks, the word exciting isn't necessarily the first one that jumps to mind when you talk about Joe Philbin. But like right. you say, it's right. worth seeing what he can do. It's, it's you know, give right. him... I totally agree. And I don't know if he, I don't know if Murphy was saying that just so Philbin feels supported or if he really means it, but he did stress several times that Philbin was a legitimate candidate for them. So I don't know. (laughs) Kind of stunned a little bit, I won't lie, but there you go. Uh, It is a team who... I think there's been a lot of finger pointing, a lot of blame being being slung around in, in the last few weeks and a lot of discussion over Mike McCarthy's legacy in Green Bay that between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, you know, uh, one already Hall of Fame quarterback, one nailed on that some talk about as being the most talented of all time, that one Super Bowl really wasn't enough in that 13-year stretch. I mean, where do you think it did go wrong over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, so I think it's um, two parts, really. And I think the part that that really got them into this uh, predicament this season is the fact that um, Ted Thompson, who was the former general manager, 
Um, he stepped down uh, last off season and they hired a, they promoted a new general manager from within the organization. But Ted was very, um, he had a, very, a strict model of draft and develop and he, he didn't spend big money in free agency and, and um, he didn't make a lot of trades and he didn't really explore, you know, picking up street free agents, putting in waiver claims, just all the avenues of how you might acquire veteran depth on your roster. Ted was not, um, he didn't do a lot of that. And people who I, I talked to some people who had worked for him and they kind of expressed how it was frustrating because they do all this work. They'd be scouting pro players who'd be available in free agency and they'd be talking to other teams, trying to make trades. Um, and, and Ted wouldn't cooperate and he wouldn't give final say. So obviously nothing could get done. So a lot of people I spoke to for the story pointed to the fact that Ted um, didn't explore every avenue to improve the roster. And when you, when you aren't drafting perfectly and hitting every pick and you're not replacing the players that aren't working out for you that you drafted, um, you know, your roster ends up where the Packers are today which is, um, you know, lacking compared to even if you look at the teams in the division in the NFC North, I think the Packers, aside from Aaron Rodgers, like clearly have the weakest roster in terms of veteran talent. So I think that was one reason why, you know, this all happened. And, and in that sense, McCarthy's really not to blame there because he was not the one drafting um, and he didn't have much control over personnel. He just coached the players that he got. Um, and the second part that you kind of mentioned earlier was, McCarthy and Rogers um, had, they've always had tension throughout their relationship. And when they were winning, it was a healthy tension. When they started losing, especially this year, um, I heard from several people I talked to that it just seemed different. It seemed like it wasn't working anymore. Um, even though they meet individually four times a week. So, you know, it's not to the point where they, they couldn't stand each other and they didn't like each other. It was just a relationship that used to work when they were winning and, now that they're losing, it sort of fizzled out, and it was just kind of like time was up, the end was near for McCarthy, and it, almost like a shelf life situation. I think they they can never be. Uh, you could, it's very difficult to recreate what a team like, say, the Patriots have done with having so much success over so much time in a in a salary cap era, in a, in a draft era where everything is designed to make things more even. But it does amaze me. Firstly, when you aren't willing to mix the free agency and the draft, like teams like that, like I've seen the Eagles do, the Seahawks do, and have real success over recent seasons. But there is also this school of thought that. With the Patriots, you have Tom Brady and there's argument about those two and who's the best of this era between Rodgers and Brady, who seems mm-hmm. to be one of the most coachable individuals who will just take everything on board. And maybe that's gone away a little bit in the last couple of years, but that that's why they've had success over so long. And then there's this school of thought that Aaron Rodgers is a bit of a coach killer almost and that actually finding his replacement, McCarthy's replacement, could be really tough because of Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I think the reason Rodgers sort of gets that reputation is because, um, and I I don't know how often Tom Brady changes plays. I haven't really done any reporting on that, Mm. but Aaron is almost like a coach on the field, and he was given pretty much full authority in Green Bay to sort of change plays, um, you know, make checks based off of what he was seeing in the defense. But from the people I talked to, that became sort of a – a difficult point for McCarthy because he couldn't get into a play calling rhythm really because Aaron would change it plays so much that it would sort of disrupt his flow 
and his rhythm. Um, and they would sometimes have tr- trouble communicating in game as to like what, why Aaron was doing what he was doing and what he was seeing out there on the field. So I think that's why Aaron might get that reputation because he's really smart. He's really critical of himself and everyone around him um, because he wants to be the best and he wants to win and he hates losing. Um, so he's difficult to coach in that sense because he is highly involved in the offense. He wants to be involved in game planning. He wants to be involved in play calling. He wants, you know, he's really smart. So it's, it's a, to benefit, but it's also difficult for a coach. So, yeah, I think you're right in that. And I think like Mark Murphy today in their press conference said they were not going to involve yes. Aaron Rodgers it's all in that, the I was interview surprised. I was, I was really surprised yeah. by that because of just how involved he is at every stage, seemingly at the, at the coaching level and the play calling and everything else, that they wouldn't have him in some right. way involved in that conversation. I thought that was really surprising. And I don't know if Murphy maybe just doesn't want to show all the cards here and like maybe Aaron will be involved and they just don't want to say it. I honestly hope that's the case because if you're going to hire a head coach and it's, it's one thing like, sure. He said he would take input from Aaron and Aaron's thoughts, but I think Aaron should be able to have a discussion, a conversation with whoever the candidates are, because the most, I think the most important part of the job description for the next Packers head coach is, can you get along and get with Aaron Rodgers and get the best out of Aaron Rodgers? And I don't know how they're going to know that unless Aaron talks to the person and gets a sense of them. So I really hope they will involve him in some way. And, you know, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have final say, obviously he shouldn't have any real say in it at all, but I think they need to know if the next coach can work with Aaron well. Well, that, this is the million-dollar question then, and I'm sure that if you can answer it, Mark McCarthy, uh, my, uh, sorry, Mark Murphy even, uh, and Brian Gutekunst might be on the phone to you quite quickly. But yeah. what, what kind of coach is that? Because there's some talk about copycat league, the Sean McVay young offensive mind going down that route, and that kind of scares me as to how well that person works with Rogers. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, question to ask. Um, I think he does need someone who is going to do things differently on offense and try new things um, and, you know, work with him and his improvisational style to get the best out of him. Um, Although I think I kind of agree with you, like a young guy, I'm not sure if that will be the best for him. I don't know if he needs someone older to sort of respect in that way. But I do think one thing he said himself several times is that he really values um, a coach who's played the position. So he's really valued a coach that has played quarterback himself. Um, And obviously that was not Mike McCarthy. Um, He did not play quarterback. So I think it'd be interesting if they hired someone who did have experience playing quarterback, that might be something that could really work for Aaron. I feel like he would automatically respect that person. Um, just because of the shared experience there and and knowing that they're coming from a background of having played the same position as him and giving that gives them a little bit more authority. I also think it could work if they, honestly, if they went with a defensive, uh, defensive side of the ball head coach and then hired an offensive coordinator um, that was that kind of young guy um, to work with Aaron. So maybe that young guy isn't ready to like lead the whole team, but I think if they had a play caller 
that was more creative and young on the offensive side of the ball, if they decided not to make him head coach, I think that could also work. Kaylin Kaler of SI and the MMQB. Uh, delightful. Really enjoyed our chat. Um, I've uh, since been emailing with her saying thank you. And I think we're going to look to try and get her on Super Bowl week on Radio Row um, to come and join us as one of our kind of pundits we chat to through the week because uh, I think she's great. And you heard her talking as well about the really good article that uh, Jenny Fuentes wrote about the head coaching candidates. And there's some really interesting stuff in there. But I asked her the million-dollar question at the end, Ollie. What's the kind of head coach who could work, or who is the kind of head coach who could work in Green Bay now? Fascinating to see that Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst have come out in their press conference and said that Aaron Rodgers won't be involved in the process. I'm kind of stunned by that, considering just how much influence he's going to have over whether a new head coach is successful or not. Do you think they're saying that because there's a lot of inference that he was involved in Mike McCarthy's firing some suggestion he maybe had a little bit too much uh, a little bit too much sway you're saying maybe well what I'm saying is if if um, there are it's if there's a, a PR issue here with how a lot of people are saying Matt Sherry being one of them that uh, pack that uh, Aaron Rodgers downed tools uh, didn't want to play for Mike McCarthy anymore I think it might be a, a, an unconscious thing rather than a conscious thing but if that is the case maybe the Packers are thinking do you know what we're not going to say out loud that Aaron Rodgers is going to be involved but I have no doubt that they will get they will canvas his opinion and will be kept well within the loop of whoever is getting interviewed and how those interviews went, what's your preference, that kind of thing. Because I just think that potentially it would look bad on Rogers and the organisation if he is involved in in that search. But it, from, a, um, from a front and centre point of view, in, by them actually releasing and saying that he will be involved. Do you, do you get what I mean? I get what you mean, but this is a conversation that I, I got into with um, with Matthew on our WhatsApp group, our editor, Matt Sherry. Um, honestly, I don't understand why he was so adverse to the idea of a franchise quarterback being involved in the process. Now, I, I think he took it too far with what I was trying to say when I said I thought Rogers should be involved. I'm not saying that the quarterback should be there in every meeting in the same way that your CEO, your GM, your, you know, the, the kind of the top people, the top brass within the organization will be. But what I am saying is that there should, prior to somebody being hired, if you have an incumbent quarterback who's being paid $30 million a year, who is seen as a future hall of famer, who has probably anywhere from three to five years left at his prime, which, you know, in the modern age is the average tenure of a new head coach coming in. How rarely does a does a true superstar quarterback later in their career get a new head coach? I, I can't think of many examples in modern memory where unless it was the player that moved or there was some specialist situation, a.k.a. like with Peyton Manning in Denver, the, those really top tier guys very rarely get a late in life new head coach. And when you make it the specialist situation that Aaron Rodgers is apparently not the easiest to work with and not the easiest to work with, not because he's a difficult human being, but because he's so intelligent, so demanding, so competitive 
that it would be madness not to make sure that there's some kind of uh, relationship gel between the two individuals. Because if they don't get on, then Rogers is going to down tools, I think is the wrong phrase, but is going to struggle to play up to the level that he can play to. And the offense is going to struggle to operate to the level it can operate to. And similar to what has happened with Mike McCarthy and the offense that Aaron Rodgers has, has been with over the last two years, because it grew stale and, and, and it was time for a change. Some of the, some of the, um, the names in the frame, I, I love the idea of Josh McDaniels. Josh McDaniels, who, with the Patriots, has won a lot of those Super Bowls. Brady et al. And you often hear people going, well, if, if Aaron Rodgers had Bill Belichick's offense or Aaron Rodgers had the New England's offense, how things would have been different for Aaron Rodgers. Um, so that's a that's a, a, a real option. I don't think Green Bay will be worried about what happened with Indianapolis. It just I think it was Bill Belichick gave him the hard, hard sell to come back to to New England um, and I think there was unfinished business given the way that they lost that Super Bowl in Minneapolis last year uh, John Filippo of the Vikings uh, he's the offensive coordinator there I, I like the idea of that the way that he manages to scheme Thielen and Diggs open a lot is something that is, doesn't happen in Green Bay at the moment so an interesting part again of what Kalen Kaylee was saying there and something that has come out of the organisation in a less forthcoming way, but that Aaron Rodgers has admitted that he would respect a coach who has experience playing the position, that knows about what that position is about and knows the challenges that come with it and can probably be more reactive to the idea of a guy reacting at the line of scrimmage and making the changes in plays like he does and then be able to react. Because you know, the one area I'm really sympathetic with Mike McCarthy is when you think about the beginning of games where you, uh, a coach will script the first 15 to 20 plays and you see how brilliant Andy Reid is it and Sean Payton is at it and how well their quarterbacks run what is scripted and Aaron Rodgers can come out and change the first three plays and then it's very difficult to get into a rhythm as a play caller so John Filippo, whilst not playing quarterback at the very highest level is a former quarterback a former college quarterback a decent former college quarterback as well um, uh, there are kind of there's a little part of me that thinks, you know, Zach Taylor, uh, who was a, a, a quarterback in college and in the CFL, is one that's been named. But I don't know, a younger head coach than Aaron Rodgers coming in. I'm, I struggle to see that there will be the immediate level of respect that you get in there. Maybe Eric Bieniemy is an interesting one as well. I know he's only had a year as the Chiefs offensive coordinator, but Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy are two of the the, the best to, doing it right now if it's not going to be an experienced name coming in the other question is whether you potentially consider okay we want one of these exciting young offensive minds but we don't know how much Aaron Rodgers is going to respect that in the same way they would respect to be like a uh, an incumbent successful winning head coach we go out and we get John Harbaugh Nick Saban, we've talked about a lot, but pair them with an exciting, younger, offensive mind. Someone, I know Lincoln Riley's name, the head coach from Oklahoma, has been banded about. That he could come into the NFL, work as an offensive coordinator with a view of that being a stepping stone for a future head coaching job. 
That, I mean, that would be ideal, but I don't think Lincoln Riley leaves what quite a cushy situation he's in unless it's for a head coaching job. I don't think Lincoln Riley comes, leaves Oklahoma to take an OC position, which is a shame because I think that would be a great introduction to the NFL for him. And we've seen some guys come straight from college and it's not worked out immediately. But that's what I'm saying with someone like Zach Taylor, who's a current quarterbacks coach, that could be the perfect, perfect sort of sort of idea. Yeah, because you've maybe. got the you've got a the progression there, quarterbacks coach to offensive coordinator, John Harbaugh or Bruce Arians. I know he's way, way out in the um in the Vegas race, but the, it, it, it's his name has got to be in the conversation given the prestige of Lambeau, the prestige of of um, Title Town, and having this you know, this uh, this kind of quarterback in Aaron Rodgers. So, I know Bruce, big big bad Bruce, and a man that we both love, uh, said that he'd only come back for the Browns, but I'm sure his head has been turned slightly. Who would? Who knows? Um, Another name banded about is Vic Fangio, defensive coordinator for the Bears, but I don't see that happening. I think. I think um, Green Bay have to go for someone offensively minded, especially as they've got Mike Pettin, who with a a defense which is much maligned injury wise, you can see you'd give him another year um, rather than bring in a a defensive minded um, head coach. Yeah, I think think you're absolutely right. And... What, what I was saying about defensive-minded head coach, if they are an established head coach like John Harbaugh, then a defensive mind's not necessarily a problem. Fangio, you know I love Vic Fangio, but to give him his first head coaching job as being the head coach of that Packers team with Aaron Rodgers, not sure that works for me. Um, but he's proved himself to be a great coach wherever he's gone. I think he will turn his... Uh, not all great coordinators become great coaches. Vic Fangio appears to have the temperament to me that would make him a decent sure. one. But I don't know this is the right situation for it. Uh, should we turn our attention to the weekend's games? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's start with Monday Night Football. The Philadelphia Eagles kept their playoff hopes alive with a 28-13 to victory over an injury-riddled Washington Redskins who were quite literally teaching a defensive end how to play offensive line on punts and field goals during the game on the sideline because of how many injuries they suffered on the offensive line and in the trenches. I mean, it's partially because the Eagles gave them absolute kittens up front. And it was hilarious that it was a game where Adrian Peterson was scoring from 90 yards. We got Mark Sanchez under centre after Colt McCoy sadly broke his leg and is out for the rest of the season. We got, uh, we've got Darren Sproles getting to the edge and scoring a touchdown, which was just lovely to see after his recent woes in his final season in Philadelphia. But realistically, this game is all about now, next week, when the Eagles go to Arlington to take on the Cowboys. Absolutely. And the Eagles, that defence finally showed up. Uh, It's taken, what, we in in week 12, week 13, it's taken that long for the the defence to show up. And I, I think it's huge for not only the NFC East title, but also the wild card as well, because the momentum that a win over your rivals out in Dallas um, or Dallas win over their rivals at home against the Eagles momentum going into the the latter stages of the regular season is huge absolutely huge and I think the Eagles 
given that um, Josh Adams didn't have the greatest game yesterday, but Darren Sproles does what he does, and Carson Wentz is still looking good, and Zach Ertz had a, a, an absolutely storming game again, it's just it's it's kind of clicking into place finally and in an about time for for Philly, isn't it? I think my only problem is is we were saying that four weeks ago, and then they faced Dallas in Philadelphia on Sunday Night Football and took a bit of a tonking. So I just I, I hope for the Eagles' sake and for what should be a really exciting like as a neutral that NFC East race if those two teams are tied atop with a game of peace on the head-to-head uh, going into the final three weeks of the season. That's a really exciting yeah. concept. Uh, I think that the Eagles, based on what we've seen, based on the Cowboys getting a win over the Saints, who absolutely waxed the Eagles, I think they will struggle. But I, I kind of hope they don't because I'd love to see that run in. I think it's really exciting. Uh, Colt McCoy breaking his leg. I just wanted to point out an incredibly salty tweet from friend of the show, Jason Lackham Thorfora, which I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed. Just what the NFL needs right now. Primetime Sanchez. Pathetic. Another team watch a string of quarterbacks fade away whilst running out fifth string QBs. Sorry, watching any chance of the playoffs fade away whilst running out fifth string QBs and pretending like Colin Kaepernick isn't a free agent. But it's fine. Claim Ruben Foster on waivers when he might never play. Mm. That's Bruce Allen, everyone. Yeah, it's um, it's a shambles of an organisation, really, isn't it, Washington? And it, if it doesn't rain, it pours. It pours for them, given the amount of injuries, and then having to have, bring in Mark Sanchez. I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think we've seen anyone as of yet. We're recording Tuesday afternoon. No one's been brought in to back up Sanchez. It just. It's just madness. And if you think as well, a, a, a player that they jettisoned after multiple injuries and claiming that he wasn't right. RG three is the third stringer out in Baltimore. It's just. <laughs> it's just a shambles, isn't it? And and given that Colin Kaepernick still still hasn't got a job, and I think who was it? I think it was someone like Eric Reed or someone like that was saying he's still working out and he's still he's ready to go if called on. And it just it's just madness. Mm-hmm. It's just madness. And actually, Washington is probably behind Dallas, the last team that you'd expect Kaepernick to end up on. Uh, yeah, I, uh, exactly. Um, you know, there's even part of him that might say that's not a team I want to play for, for the reasons that we've discussed on this podcast before and won't get into right now. Um, just a very quick mention, because it's only happened in the last 15 minutes, an announcement from Ohio State. The OSU, the Buckeyes have announced this morning that Urban Meyer will retire after this year's Rose Bowl. He will use his press conference this afternoon to formally announce his retirement from coaching following Ohio State's appearance in the bowl game. Uh, And uh, yeah, I mean... Gene Smith, the athletic director, will will come in as the 25th head coach in the history of the programme beginning in January. But Urban Meyer retiring from coaching in... uh, in inverted commas, it's not quite Nick Saban level, but he is someone who has some unfinished business potentially uh, in the NFL or, or never really any business in the NFL. Uh, he has been purely a, co- uh, a college guy, just maybe one to also look out for. Yeah, but uh, there but, is the sorry, I'm, I'm going to jump in there. Given what happened earlier on in the season, I think it was um, it, with the whole 
Maya allegedly knowing about spousal abuse allegations against assistant coach Zach Smith prior to Smith's firing the week before that. I think, I think a lot. I think he's slightly tainted in that respect. And slightly, (laughs) if you ask, if you ask the guys that do our ESPN college uh, player college podcast. Uh, they think he's horrendously tainted to the point where, despite him being the three-time national champion and in the conversation for one of the best college head coaches in recent years, they won't put him into that same echelon because there are innumerable examples of things like that happening. And that's why I don't think he is a candidate for an NFL head coaching job. And it, it, he may have to take a, a, a huge step back and go in as a, a coordinator or you know a position coach to try and get back into into coaching because I think he may very well be done um, in the upper echelons of of college football but hey download the the guys Clancy and Sherry mm-hmm. for their reactions on uh, on on Urban Meyer's decision 100% as well as hearing their thoughts on the top four in college football. The playoffs have been set and the Heisman Trophy candidates have been announced. The three quarterbacks in red. Uh, so go out and check that. That will be out tomorrow. Uh, and it promises to be a, a fiery one because there's lots of for them to get into. If you've not read Simon's column on the website, well, well worth a read as well. Looking back at the championships weekend. Right, let's take a quick break and then we'll run down the rest of Sunday's games and preview Thursday. Thursday night football, the Titans and the Jags. Hazel Irvin here, and I'm at Mammoth Insurance in Leeds, where Kate has arranged an office chair race to fundraise for sport relief. And these riders have got their kit on. They are rearing to go. And they're off, taking an early lead and smashing injustice right out of the park. It's Daphne from Accounting riding the spreadsheet demon chair. Up comes Nina from HR on Beat Me and You're Fired, closely followed by Mark from Marketing on the 9 to 5 chair. Even Javid from Health and Safety's at it, weaving his clipboard like crazy. Go easy there, Javid. We don't want any injuries, fella. And from nowhere, it's Jenny on El Chero Loco, rolling right over poverty to cross the line first. And the crowd goes loco. Unbelievable. You can help change the world too. Just get your exclusive Sport Relief merchandise at Janeiro's Sainsbury's. Sport Relief. It's game on. This message was brought to you by Acast. You're listening to The Gridiron Show. Will Gavin, Ollie, Hunter coming up. We're going to preview Thursday Night Football, the Titans and the Jags. <sighs> this is going back to the old... The, the old days of Titans-Jags on Thursday night football. Um, and uh, we're, we're just going to do a quick rundown of the rest of, uh, of Sunday night first. I haven't done this for the actual Sunday night game because we did it on Talk Sports. So I thought you might want to talk about it in a bit more depth. But for everything else, I've just been and watched all the highlights back. I watched a couple of the shows and then I went a bit more depth on a couple of games. And I've written like a little one thought, I think, about each game. Uh, which I will share with you, Ollie, and then you can give your thoughts on the games as well. Perfect. How do you that feel about that? Great. What a gr- what a hero just, just you to... are! <laughs> what a massive nerd I am! Uh, but starting off with that Sunday night football game, because I haven't done it for that, because the Chargers storm back or charge back, probably a better phrase to use, from a sixteen-point halftime deficit, never done before 
in Pittsburgh. Uh, the record is 220-0-2 when leading by two touchdowns or more at home at halftime. But the Chargers finally did it. Yes, it helped. I mean, you got a pump return. You got a, a game-winning field goal. You got finally the Chargers figuring out that there are three phases of a football game, offense, defense, and special teams. But it was uh, not just that. It was the majoritively bar the late touchdown drive for the Steelers, shutting down of that offense in the second half that really impressed me, Ollie. I 100% agree with you. They um, they bullied the Steelers up front, in especially in that second half. And then... Um, the I don't know whether it was a plan, but um, by the Chargers to kind of go with Justin Jackson when the Steelers' defense was tiring, and they bring in the rookie out of Northwestern, and he just has an absolute day. And eight eight rushing attempts for sixty three yards. He had another catch for nineteen. He scored a touchdown and an amazing eighteen yard run with a couple of jumps, making people miss. And that was really, it kind of summed up the day or the second half, at least for the Steelers, because they had no answer to it. He picked up four first downs on his first five rushes in the second half and scored the 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 Bolts' last touchdown. Uh, the rookie out of Northwestern looks like a more natural runner than Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler continues to look like a fantastic complementary piece, but as we saw in that first half, struggles to be the, the, the workload guy. I think it's fantastic that they've managed to, to bring him in and do that immediately. The stat sheet dominated by Antonio Brown and Keenan Allen, but uh, the, the storyline will be this week going on to see just how bad this leg contusion is for James Connor. It's one that if it's a muscle contusion and doesn't involve the ankle, he could be ready. If not this weekend to face Oakland, you rest him against Oakland. Then for the coming three weeks after that, when the Steelers have got a really, really tough run in, he could be back. But if it's a bone contusion, then he might miss the rest of the season. So we are waiting for more clarity from Pittsburgh on that. It sounds like from sources inside the team, from the Rappaports, etc. of this world, that it is milder. It's on that side of things, but Connor could be a big loss for them, considering how well he's filled in for Le'Veon Bell for the majority of this year. Uh, and just, yeah, the, just the big thing, the big takeaway for me is the Chargers, a comeback, a win with special teams involved, the kind of things that in the past the Chargers would have charged. And this this year, they're, they're not doing it so much. They did against the Broncos, but... A blip on the radar. Hopefully. It was a really good game as well. I mean, it always a comeback in prime time is great, but this was a this was a great advert for NFL football because the Chargers, as you said, played all three phases of the game really, really well, and I think their defense came back after being um, gashed in the secondary. They managed to get some pressure up front. Joey Bosa with a Dwight Freeney esque spin move for sack and just. Oh. They're starting to click. I, I said it earlier with the Eagles. Oh. But I, yeah, exactly. I think um, I, I think the Chargers are starting to click and they're just a game behind the Chiefs now, which is mental to think. And they play each other next week on Thursday Night Football. Excited about that. Don't know why it needed a song, but I'm excited about it. I liked it. it. Shall, shall we do... Our speedy rundown of the rest of the games with Will Gavin's one-line thought and Ollie's yes. reaction to it. Great. 
The Los Angeles Rams 30, the Detroit Lions 16. Uh, the big thing that I took away from this game, Rams with only 30 points against a not particularly talent-rich Lions side. And their defense stopped the screen game early. They got Devin Kennard up there, slowing that down. They stopped the crossing routes early on. And, you know, it's one game, but just maybe have the Lions set a little bit of a blueprint on how to slow the Rams offense down. All right. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I like that because once you once you cut off that Todd Gurley um, production line, especially in the passing game, you're asking Jared Goff to do things that he was uncomfortable doing, especially in his first season. But he's been better at in in this season. So yeah. Okay. I like it. Uh, Giants 30, Bears 27. The offensive stuff was obviously fun. Akeem Hicks being William the Refrigerator Perry was wonderful. But the kind of the other thing I took away was the Giants O-line kind of played well against the Bears. I mean, they still got beaten a few times, but their defense got after Chase Daniels, five sacks on the day. Just a couple of concerns in the trenches for Chicago, a place where they've been pretty strong for the season so far. I think Mitch Trubisky can't come back quick enough for Chicago. Chase Dan... Wow, isn't that weird isn't to it? think? Isn't it? <laughs> and we'll, then we'll see how well he, he plays coming off of an injury. The Giants, it's a very long shot, but given that everybody's beating everybody else in that NFC East, the Giants, or all of them, all, all four teams could em- end up on 8-8 eight and eight, and then some weird tiebreakers would get involved. Um, all pro safety is going to be a real. This is the other thing I was thinking. All pro safety is going to be a fascinating position this year because actually I think Eddie Jackson needs to be in massive consideration from the Bears. Um, look at me giving the Bears so much love. Oh, it feels dirty. Uh, <laughs> the Texans, the Texans twenty nine, Browns thirteen. I think from a Texans perspective, uh, an impressive win, done well, and done well without the two big guys on the outside in Clowney and what needing to be actually all that involved. But why particularly enjoyed was some great second half adjustments from Baker Mayfield and the Browns offense. Freddie Kitchens might be the real deal and might be worth going out and getting a Bruce Arians type rather than a Lincoln Riley type and keeping Kitchens around. Okay. But is there any um, worry about Baker Mayfield and the amount of turnovers that he's conceding so it was three interceptions in the game the first one was was very clearly on him Uh, the third was probably on him as well my thought is that he's a rookie quarterback he's a rookie quarterback who tries to get the ball downfield who's trying to win a game of football where his team have gone down early I'd rather my rookie quarterback was taking some shots and learning from some some mistakes rather than being he constantly stood up in the pocket against pressure where his tackles were struggling. He stepped up in the pocket. He kept his eyes downfield. He did the things that I like. We like. We talked about with Jared Goff in his first season a lot, that actually the signs that he could develop into what Goff's turned into were always there because whilst he made the mistakes, he made the mistakes with some confidence and whilst doing the right thing, but just making the wrong throw. He's still getting through his reads. He's not staying on reads too long. He's not making the horrible errors as a rookie that make you think, is that going to be a long-term problem? But making the errors that you think, right, that's fixable. 
So I, I, it didn't concern me too much. Okay, that's fine. Just very quickly on Mayfield, he's come into a team that obviously picked number one overall. Another player that did that coming out of college, all right, he came out of college with an awful lot more... Um, uh, a lot more people were thinking that this that he's going to be the real deal. But is there any comparison to be made with how Mayfield is playing in his first year and Andrew Luck played in his first year? Oh, I mean, he's not having the first year Andrew Luck had, but then very few people have ever had the first year Andrew Luck had. And you've got to consider everything that happened with... You know, uh, Chuck Pagano the head and coaching and, and, the yeah. Chuck Pagano and Bruce Arians, and th- that first season had that kind of weird NFL films thirty for thirty magical quality to it. But in terms of what he's doing, and in terms of the production, you know, I, there are very few rookie quarterbacks I'm as high on as Baker Mayfield. Um, uh, just hopefully he can continue to develop and grow and gets the right coaching around him to do so. Okay. Uh, Panthers, Panthers, Bucks, not a lot to say on this. Just the Panthers have now lost, what, three, four in a row. And yet I still quite like watching their offense play. They're just not putting the points on the board. So bad, bad it. The Bucks, I just can't figure out. Just what are they? Around. I don't know. We still don't know what the Bucks, Bucks are. We've had 13 weeks of the season, 12 games. What are the Bucks? For the Panthers, I think Ron Rivera's fired a few defensive um, coordinator. I think he's fired the defensive coordinator or the assistant. Assistant. So that always shows that there are some issues there. I think there's some murmurings that Ron Rivera could be un- his job could be under threat if they don't make the playoffs. So yeah, interesting. Watch this space. But yeah, that we know. You know how I feel about um, about Christian McCaffrey. To, to conf- to confirm, Rivera hasn't sacked Eric Washington, but has sacked two defensive assistants and then assured Eric Washington he's not getting sacked. So he's so, going to get sacked next week uh, when they lose. Okay. At 100%. <laughs> uh, Ravens 26, Falcons 16. I mean, the Falcons have now gone four games without reaching 20 points, more than 20 points. That's a problem. And for as much as we thought Sarkeesian had fixed his red zone issues earlier in the season... They've all come flooding back in the last four weeks. This, uh, yeah, all of the offensive issues, uh, some of the defensive issues for the Falcons, Ravens as well. Offensively, they're not setting the world alight, either on the ground or on or, or through the air with Lamar Jackson. It was a turgid game, a turgid game played by two teams that aren't playing very nice football at the moment. It, it, it reminded me of, and I'm going to prompt you into talking about the next game. Reminded me a bit of the Bills and Dolphins game where two teams play bad football. Um, Yeah, I mean, finally, just on the Falcons, they're still in a Super Bowl window, but it's closing with every off-season. I think they need to address those offensive problems. I will talk about the Bills and the Dolphins next. The Bills should have won this game. Josh Allen, firstly, with his legs. Again, nine rushes for, I think he went 134 or 136 yards. (laughs) Okay. But the longest, but the, but the longest of those was only twenty-eight yards, which says that they're pretty consistently good runs as well. It's not one of those. Sometimes you see a mental stat line that that, but it ends up they had, you know, you've seen it with Cam Newton with Colin Kaepernick in the past with where they'll have one seventy-yard run that was just ridiculous. We saw Newton do it against these Dolphins, and it look makes their it pumps their whole stats for the day. But this was. Lots of consistently good runs rather than one big one uh, inflating the stats. 
However, I've rewatched that last throw we debated on Sunday night, Ollie. Both players have taken the blame themselves. It comes out of Josh Allen's hand weird. It's almost going through the air like a punt by the time it gets yeah. to Charles Clay. He's he, Admittedly, he's been scrambling for about 25 seconds at that point. So <laughs> it's not so easy to set your base and get the ball off. But a better throw and the Bills win that game, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. I think it is on both of them and I think they're both right to do it. Um, but yeah, I totally understand. Totally understand. Broncos 24, Bengals 10. I mean, the story of this game should be, yes, the Denver Broncos have won another game on this streak. They're pushing towards being three teams from the AFC West. But I think Chris Harris is Chris Harris breaking his leg. And apparently it's not bad, but he will. they would have him back potentially within the playoffs if they get there. But I don't think without Chris Harris, they can get there. But on offense, when you've got, someone like Philip Lindsay who's rushing for more yards than Keenan Anna, uh, Case Keenum throws um, they've got a real real stud playmaker there who is from the city from the state um, I, I love watching him run the ball and if you can if you can get all of those yards on the ground and some of their complementary backs as well with Royce Freeman and Devontae Booker you then lob it up to 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 Cortland Sutton if you can keep that offense and the chain move chains moving and try and nullify the fact that Chris Harris Jr. isn't there then perhaps they can still do something I like the Broncos they've got some momentum and facing the Chargers in week 17 when the Chargers could already have a wild card spot clinched they could as you say win the next four go 10 and 6 and and sneak into that final wild card spot the the pass rush has to be phenomenal for the last four weeks to make up for what is now looking like a very thin secondary, basically. And they've got the players to be that. I'm just not sure it goes that direction. AJ Green out for the year as well. Yuck. I mean, obviously, that's just, just upsetting for anyone who likes good football. And we know the Browns have got a, a nice run coming up. 49ers, Browns, Raiders. But they need to almost win every game they've got left with the Chargers. I say they're going to do it. 17. I think they're going to win every single game left. You think they're going to beat the Chargers as well, even if the Chargers are in it for a seeding, etc. Come week. 17? I think so. They bring them back to Mile High. They beat them in um, at the StubHub Center. We were there. I think the Broncos will scrape into the playoffs. I've got a feeling they're going to win the next four games. Uh the Jags six, Ugh. the Colts zero. Uh, this was, uh, we spent weeks going, oh, Frank Light, oh, Andrew Luck, oh. And they said, oh, oh, oh my God, they're so great. Um, they ran out of mojo and it just highlighted how bad the surrounding talent is. I think they're probably out of the playoffs considering how tough their running is. Oh, look, the Jags defense can show up. Yeah. Ridiculous. Well done for doing it when you're three and eight and lost seven in a row. Ugh. This is a... Thursday, horrible. Thursday night football. Ugh. This is a horrible, horrible game. Horrible. Let's move on. Uh, talking of Thursday night football, Titans beat the Jets 26-22. I don't think Marcus Mariota's very oh, good. Do you know what? I was just thinking that. We we were in the studio uh, on, on Sunday, Sunday night, Monday morning, and we had um, that final sort of the final throws of the game on in, in, in both of our, the corners of our eyes. And even from then, the amount of 
the amount of missed throws and weird scrambling and and stuff from Mariota just highlighted that I think he's I I think he's regressed as a player and I don't think he's at, yeah I agree with you I don't think he's very good. So my problem with Mariota is this he's good with his legs and that's a potential talent and he can get outside the pocket which is a potential talent. But unlike my new quarterback du jour, Baker Mayfield, and the others who are very good at it in the NFL, your Russell Wilsons, your Aaron Rodgers, guys like uh, that who get outside the pocket and then still make a play. Marcus Mariota doesn't have very good arm strength. And the problem with him not having very good arm strength is he needs to have a very clean base in order to throw from. He needs to be feet set, eyes downfield, perfect throwing motion, and then he can get the ball away really well. But if he is under pressure or if he is throwing, you know, like Aaron Rodgers can be both feet off the ground and still flick the ball 30 yards downfield seemingly with the flick of a wrist. It's just not something Marcus Mariota can do. He can be a successful NFL quarterback if they throw a lot on first down, so he's facing a run defense when he's throwing, or if they bring RPOs in, or if they, but they have to scheme for him. They can't rely on him, and you know that's not what you want from a guy you picked so early. Unfortunately, uh, how many games we got left? Probably about three. Two or three, I think. Uh, two, I think. There's the um, Chiefs and Raiders. Chiefs Raiders. I, I, this is the worst offensive game I've seen the Chiefs play in a while, and they still put up forty points. So, Travis Kelsey had an absolute day, didn't he? He did. He had a massive day. Spencer Ware, I think, will get better. I like Spencer Ware more than that performance made him look. I think he needs to get up ahead of steam. Uh, but they have brought Chuck Hendrick West back, who had some nice flashes when he was with this team previously. Um, the 49ers Seahawks. Now, I actually want to get this up because the um, the stat line for the Seahawks in this game is absolutely hilarious. Like, even as a 49ers fan, you've just got to laugh at how bad it is because the Seattle Seahawks only put up 331 total yards of offense, 163 yards passing, 168 on the ground, compared to 452 from the 49ers, but... The 49ers gave up 128 yards in penalties. They gave up a 98-yard pick six. If you can put up 43 points while only putting up 300 yards of offense, you've got something figured out right. Uh, (laughs) This is just a good team against a bad team. Oh, buddy, I feel feel bad for you. (laughs) It's funny. Sorry, it's just funny at this point. Um, And then Vikings-Pats. Mm, you might have been right about Kirk Cousins. Sorry, his season is sorry. What his was that? season is getting what was that? His, his season is getting worse as it continues, and his problem. The, the 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 New England Patriots are a team who, for as much as people think that they're flawed this year and aren't as good as the rest of the of the teams in the AFC, don't give them a lead. They are running the ball well finding those nice little dink and dunk, move the chains passes to stay on the field and run long drives. And even when they're only going, you know, seven or eight plays and punting the ball, they're still taking five, six minutes off the clock doing it. So when you're two touchdowns up, that's fine. You're like, oh yeah, we've punted it, but <laughs> good luck coming back from this now with the time deficit you've got. Um, and, and 
their defense. They just, they didn't do anything flashy. They didn't bring great pressure. They just sat in front of the sticks and wouldn't let the Vikings get first downs. And Kirk Cousins ended this game with, for, with four yards per completion in through the air. I mean, that's like Blake Bortles rubbish. I think it's what he was being offered. And so I don't necessarily think it's all on him, but they completely took Adam Thielen out of the game in the second half. And it's just, Pat's a well coached. What a shock. Well, that that is it. And um, you, you mentioned don't give them a lead. As soon as you give the Patriots a lead, the Vikings are chasing and they went away from the run game, which was working really well, really well with Dalvin Cook. And then you've got a lot of um a lot of check downs to Dalvin Cook as well where he had 8 yards eight receptions off of 10 targets for 22 yards that tells me that Kirk Cousins is looking for people downfield they're not open he's checking it down to Dalvin Cook and therefore it becomes it just becomes obvious and i think you've got to look at some of the play calling from Zimmer et al and and think uh, that they drop the ball <laughs> quite literally on this one. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. This looked very much like that performance against the Bears from a few weeks ago. Not in terms of how, the actual how the game played out, but how they reacted to adversity. Yeah, they they Not shrunk, they shrunk within themselves as an organisation. And they're, they're all right uh, in the home building when they're playing. As I said, when it's their cup final, they're playing the Green Bay Packers in the home building. But you take them on the road to, to the Patriots. And by the way, the Patriots have had it quite good with uh, who they've brought um, to, to Foxborough in both the Packers and the Vikings um, so far. By the way, yeah, just I just um, I think the Vikings are the ultimate up and down team at the moment. Now, Thursday Night Football, as a former Gridiron Picks champ, I am having a terrible last three weeks. And admittedly, that's because I've been mainly going with the favourites and there have been some fantastic upsets in recent weeks. I did call the Ravens on the road, though. So that was one that I'm proud of. Um, But I'm not going to overthink this. The Titans are at home on a short week. Cody Kessler's not a very good quarterback. The Titans' Titans' defence is good. And um, the Jags' defence has bounced back, but... How much would that keeping out the um, the Colts have affected them? So, yeah, Titans win for me. This game was nine six back in week three. This game might be lower scoring. I think it's you and me doing it on um, on Talk Sport, isn't it, Willie? God, I think it is. There I think we, we need go. to figure that out. Uh, uh, but I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> right, brilliant stuff, Ollie. Uh, as always. You're a great man. Before we get to our friends at Skybet for their Thursday night preview, and because uh, uh, the way to make a bad game interesting, if you do it sensibly <laughs> and responsibly, you, you saw yourself going down in a hole, but you you laid the ladder <laughs> against the edge and you've climbed back out of it. Well done, buddy. <laughs> if doing it responsibly within your means, you know, when the fun stops, stop, gambleaware.org, all of that other stuff, is to have a little flutter on it. Uh, so we'll, we'll preview Thursday Night Football and talk about a couple of other bits and pieces. But before we get to Jacob, any final thoughts, Ollie Hunter? Uh, no final thoughts. 
Good man. Well, in, other, in, in, in that case then, thank you, buddy. Thank you so much for listening. This has been The Gridiron Show. Let's get the latest odds with our friends at Skybet. So let's check the latest odds now with our friends at Skybet. Jacob joins us as usual for a Wednesday. Hey, Jacob, how are you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. How about yourself? Yeah, not bad, pal. Thank you, not bad at all. I, I'd be cheerier if I knew that Thursday night was an affair that was uh, had some playoff relevance, but you know how to make a, a bad game relevant? It's to have a little flutter on it. So we'll talk <laughs> Thursday night football uh, in a moment. But first of all, uh, we, we referenced this last week. It's time to talk about the number one overall pick yeah so with the uh with the draft coming up almost for the teams that the teams that are already out of the playoffs and it was the Niners and the Raiders both have been officially eliminated this week from the playoffs it's time for them to start looking at what number pick are they going to get and we've got a market up for the top three in the as the of the draft order in their exact order so Really, you're looking here for who's got the toughest schedule left. So 49ers, they've got the Broncos, the Seahawks, the Bears and the Rams. So Pretty tough. Yeah. Pretty, yeah, you, <laughs> pretty you, tough. I think you, the only way you're looking at a win there really is if the Rams rest everybody in week 17. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be really tough for them. The Raiders, they've got the Steelers, Bengals, Broncos and Chiefs. So you maybe look again, say maybe they can get something over the Bengals. You know, they put up points on the Chiefs this week. They just weren't able to get the get the win. And you never know, the Chiefs could be resting players as well. And the other two teams you're looking in the mix are the Jets and the Cardinals. I think the Cardinals got themselves out of the race for the number one pick, as I'm sure their fans will be happy to hear <laughs> with their win this weekend over the Packers. And the Jets, they've got the Bills, Texans, Packers and Patriots left. So we've got some... Maybe a winnable game in there, but they're all looking pretty tough. So the favourite for this market, we've got 49ers number one pick, Raiders number two pick, Jets number three pick. That's at three to one, the favourite there. Right, okay. If we want the the next one, we've got Raiders number one, Jets number two, Niners number three. That's 11 to two. Mm -hmm. But remember, there's a lot of tiebreaker implications in this market. So the Niners beat the Raiders, but then lost to the Cardinals. And then, so it's, it gets it can get very complicated very quickly there. Um, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I kind of my kind of feeling on it is that looking through those schedules, I don't think the Niners win another game. So that immediately leans me towards them being in the number one overall pick slot. And of the other teams, I think the Jets and the Raiders probably have more winnable games than anyone else. But then again, I would never have said the Cardinals will go to Green Bay and win. So uh, exactly, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you fancy Niners one, Jets two, Raiders three, then you can get that fourteen to one. So if you're thinking that's the top three, but in a little bit of a different order, then that's quite a nice outsider. Nice. If we think the Raiders go on a little run, yeah, I could, I could see it happening. I genuinely could. Okay, nice. So uh, that's an intriguing market. I'll be intrigued to see what what way people go with that, how people fancy it. Um, let's look, look forward to Thursday night football because it is the Jags against the Titans. L- earlier in the year, these two turned us out a nine six game, and I think this one might be lower scoring. <laughs> Yeah, it quite it quite well maybe. The Titans, they're the five at one to two, the Jags out at thirteen to eight, it's a four and a half handicap. Interestingly, we've seen the money mainly on the Titans, but quite a bit on the Jags to cover the spread. So mm. that indicates to me that 
people also are seeing a close game where obviously the lower scoring it is, then the easier it is for teams to cover that kind of four and a half points. Like you said, that 9-6 would have done it. So I think people are also expecting a low scoring game and the, the point line sat at just 38, which is, is very, very low. But I'm, I... Uh... I'm not a huge fan of anyone that was involved at quarterback this past weekend uh, <laughs> when it came to these two teams. Cody Kessler is just not an efficient NFL quarterback. But Marcus Mariota, we were talking about this with Ollie earlier on the podcast, he has a real, real arm strength problem, and it's showing up more and more at the moment. In the, If he doesn't have a clean pocket, if he's not throwing from a clean base, he just can't get any power behind throws. He has to be set perfectly. And when he is, he can throw accurate, decent throws, but... The Jags pass rush finally turned up this past week and their secondary are playing really well as well. I I still think the Titans win it because I think that we could see uh, the Jags held to three, if not six points, something along those lines, in which case you don't need a lot out of the game. So I'm going to take a Titans win with the under on that 38 points, but also that I think there'll be three-plus turnovers in the game. So interceptions, fumbles, strip sacks and recoveries, whatever it might be. But I just think defence is going to really show up in this game. And there is a certain type of football fan, which maybe I consider myself one of, who love this kind of game. Um... There, there are plenty who won't, but I'll, I'll, I'll have fun. That's the main thing. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes there's, there's a time for liking these defensive low-scoring games, but I kind of like them when it's because the defences are playing well and not just because both offences are so terrible. <laughs> it could go in that way. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my three. That's my, uh, that's my so treble. Titans to win, under 38 points and three-plus match turnovers. So we've got that up at 11-2 to two now. Yeah, the Jackson, Jacksonville are fifth in the league in the number of give, times they're turning over the ball. And like you said, Mario, it's, it's starting to show a bit more. And people might look at it and say, well, they don't turn the ball over that much. But when you look at Mariota's stats, not just for interceptions, but he's fumbled the ball nine times and they've managed to get it back seven of those nine times. Wow. So that's quite rare. And what you tend to see with players that fumble a lot and they manage to get the ball back is that in the long term, they'll start to lose those fumbles because it's not the easiest thing to do to fumble and get the ball back. So I think the number of times you fumble is probably a better statistic to focus on than on fumbles lost. I mean, he's fumbled four times in the last three games, but they've managed to get them all back. So it's only a matter of time, I think, before that corrects itself. And when you add in the pace of the linebackers, when you add in his propensity to scramble, when you add in the pass rush that's there, the safeties, there's so many reasons to think that if he does get outside the pocket and get hit and loses the ball, that there will be a lot more Jags players surrounding him than Titans players. So I like it a lot. Uh, Jacob, uh, cracking stuff. As always, it is over 18s only. Head to skybet.com. Please gamble responsibly. And do we have the request a better deal on as per usual? Yep, every every Thursday we have it, yep. So if you bet £10 on any request a bet market on the Jags-Titans game, you'll get £5 free bet to spend on any NFL market you like. There you go. Uh, terms and conditions up on the Skybet website. Jacob, thank you very much. Perfect. Thank you very much.